Hey, WellPod listeners, just a couple of quick notes before we dive into this week's episode. First of all, if you haven't listened to last week's episode, The Golden Ticket, it's actually part one of our interview with children's book author Mac Barnett. This is episode two, so you'll definitely want to go back and listen to that interview first. Second, this episode does feature a bit of strong language by yours truly. If you'd like a beeped version, you can find that on our website, thewellpod.com, and hit the show notes tab. You'll find it there. Okay, here's part two of our interview with Mac Barnett, titled, What is Water? Welcome to The Well, I'm Anson Mount. I am Brandon Edgens. And today we have the second part of my interview with children's author Mac Barnett. And I asked Mac uh, sort of like how he found his way into this business. I, I always wondered, how do you get into writing children's books? So what was, uh, I, I'm going to ask you a question I hate getting. <laughs> That's fine. What was the foot in the door moment? I don't hate that question. I don't mind that question at all. It was a, it's a weird one. So when, going back to that camp, um, there was one picture book. They had this, just this sort of like dilapidated, just pathetic library of picture books that I wouldn't go near. Um, so mostly I would just tell stories that I was making up. There was one book, though, that I loved. And this book came out when I was a kid, but I never read it. Um, because when I, my mom bought most of my books at garage sales and so I grew up with like the previous generation and the generation before that's picture books. Maurice Sendak, Tommy Unger, James Marshall, Donald Cruz, like all the, all these great writers um, kind of figuring out what this form does. I was very lucky for that and, and I, I got to read all these great books. Uh, she also bought all of my clothes at garage sales and that was like less lucky for me as a child, lots of pictures of me in like 1987 wearing like saddle shoes and a sailor suit. <laughs> the books worked out better than the clothes. But I did miss out on some good books too. So there was a book called The Stinky Cheese Man. Mm, uh, I know this book. Yeah. It's a great book. Yeah. And it's just... I actually this, have this book. Do you have it? Yeah. 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 It's, it's, I like, I, I couldn't believe it. It was this completely just demented experimental postmodern smart thing and i would read it to the kids and we were loving it together and i loved this book it was so great and i was like man if this book came out and has become a classic then maybe there's a chance for some of the weird stories in my brain too and so i went back to to college and i was telling everybody it's like, okay, I, I remember I was, I, I was in the shower when I had my first idea for a picture book in my dorm, senior year. And I was telling all my friends, I was like, okay, check this out. I want to write this picture book. And I'd tell them, and they would immediately just start shaking their heads and be like, no, that is not for kids. That's weird. That's too weird. They're not going to get it. I was like, no, they're going to get it. There's this book called The Stinky Cheese Man. So it became my like preemptive defense. And I was having breakfast with a good friend of mine. I was like, before I even start, I want to tell you this book is inspired by a book called The Stinky Cheese Man, which is this great postmodern, and she interrupted me, and she's like, you know that my, that's, my dad wrote that book, right? What? Yeah. Uh, Come on. It's true. <laughs> and her name was Casey Sheska, 
and his name is John Sheska. I never knew how to say his name because it's S-C-I-E-S-Z-K-A, this crazy collision of Polish consonants. And we called Casey by her last name. We called her Sheska, but I never thought it was spelled like that. And so the next day she said, uh, you know, I, like I told my dad about your book and he wants to see it when you're done. Uh, and a year later, I finished my first picture book. I sent it off to John. I printed it off. I was living at home. I, I'd moved back uh, into my mom's house and I was taking a year off to try to write a picture book after I graduated from college. So I took it in to my mom's room and I handed her the manuscript and the first line of the story. It's called Billy Twitters and His Blue Whale Problem. And it's about a kid who gets a blue whale as a pet, but it's a punishment. And the first line is Billy Twitters clean up your room or we're buying you a blue whale. And my mom read that and she was like, what the hell does that mean? That's like, that, how do you, that doesn't make sense. You can't buy a blue whale. Where's it gonna live? What are you talking about? And I just panicked and I just ripped the manuscript out of her hands, ran out of her room to my room, which was right next door to her room. Real cool. It was a cool time in my life. And, uh, and I was just devastated. I was like, I spent a year writing this thing. And it's a nightmare. Like the first sentence is a disaster. And I was so proud of it. And I was like, I, I, like, I really was ready to give up at that moment. Um, but I had already sent it to John. And I got this email back a couple hours later. And he was like, this is great. It's so funny. I love it. I'm going to send this to my agent. And he his, didn't say no about that first no sentence. No, about that first sentence. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and his agent called me uh, the next week and said, like, I think we could sell this book if, if you'd like to work with me. Uh, and he's still my agent to this day. We, we sold it the next week. Um, and then four years later, it finally came out. But that little bit from writing to getting an agent to selling it went really quickly. And I think, like, at 21, I had the motivation to write and finish a book a picture book, which surprises me looking back. I, I, but I really don't think at 21 I would have figured out like how you get an agent, how you navigate the publishing process. If it hadn't been for that lucky break, I, it wouldn't have happened. I would have just had this, this picture book manuscript that my mom didn't like very much. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to let these, these uh, sirens pass for just a So while the sirens were passing, uh, we started talking a little bit more about Max time at school and learning how to write and uh, it turns out that Max's writing teacher in college was none other than David Foster Wallace. Oh my god. <laughs> I know, right? Jeez. Now, for those listeners who don't know who <laughs> David Foster Wallace is, he's become kind of a a giant in modern American literature. He's unfortunately no longer with us. He took his own life uh, several years ago. Uh, but he inspired a lot of authors with uh, his magnus opus, Infinite Jest. Have you read that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what did you think? I mean, it's 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 over. It's kind of overwhelming. I mean, it's it's yeah. it's, it's, it's a it's downloading a it's like trying to download an intellect that's just that you don't have the bandwidth for. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a little like you had to read it in small intervals. Yeah. But um, I wanted to ask him more about studying with David Foster Wallace. 
So it was over those summers. I was like, this is what I want to do. I want to write picture books. This is my audience. And really? Yeah. And I went back to, to school and it was my senior year of college. I knew I wanted to write picture books. And at my school, the, the writer, uh, David Foster Wallace, was uh, the writing professor at, at my college. So he came halfway through my time there. And my senior year was the first time I was going to be able to take a fiction writing workshop with him. And I knew then I, I went in to sort of like to kiss up, to kind of like to ask him, you know, like, what's the secret way into this class? Um, and there wasn't one, but he was like, oh, what kind of stuff are you interested in? And I remember I was like, oh, I was like, oh, I want to write uh, books for kids. And he just shrugged and was like, I don't know anything about writing for kids. And I was like, no, I, like, I know, I think I know how I feel about writing for kids. I don't, I don't need to know how to write for kids. I just need to know how to write. Like, I need those skills. Um, in terms of what I want to say, how I want to say it, and who my audience is, I feel like I've done that work. But now I need to do the work of figuring out, like, just what good writing is. What is good art? So he, he would write these responses, right? You would write, I, I think in the fiction writing class, every week was you would write a response to the, the writers who had done pieces that week. But I think we only did two pieces of submitted fiction, um, like per student, um, in a semester-long class. And... Both times, his responses, he would give a typed response letter, which was six pages long, single-spaced, footnoted. Again, one of those things that people think is like a sort of a Wallace affectation, but was actually a map of his cognition, right? Like, that's, that's how he thought he could best represent his train of thought. So the, the letter of response would be footnoted. Um, then gone over again and hand-corrected as if it was like something that was typewritten on a typewriter. But the, the manuscript itself uh, was marked with four, sometimes five different colors of ink, the pen. Um, and then you realize like he's read this thing five times. The first time for me, it's like, I didn't read my own thing over five times. And like, but Wallace was willing to do that. Like, um, I, I think going into it, you think, this is, you know, he very easily could have taken that job, gotten that sort of backstop to his income and just focused on writing. But he was a teacher and he had signed up to teach and he took that seriously. The realization that like David Foster Wallace had read a piece of writing I'd done more closely than I had was uh, guilt-inducing, terrifying, and, and made me a lot more careful the second time around. Although I think my second piece was worse than my first. So. <laughs> and he was also like really terrifying about grammar, um, which I think would be unsurprising to his readers, but he would start every class uh, with a worksheet that, that uh, he would pass out. And uh, at the top it would say, your liberal arts dollars and the dollar sign at work. And it would be a selection of sentences, five to eight sentences taken from that week's um, assignments. And everyone would have some error, some mistake. There would be a flawed sentence that a student had written 
uh, that week. And the first thing you do is just like scan. If you had written something that week, you would just scan <laughs> and be like, oh, shit, that's my, like, that's my, I, really, I, had, I had a character named Adam. Okay, when am I made it in here? Um, and it was terrifying. It was terrifying. I mean, you would be like, the class would talk about what you did wrong. He would then have, a, 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 you know, like a little speech about why this was a disaster to a piece of writing. And, and you would be humiliated. But it really, it also kind of broke me down as a writer. I stopped, I stopped uh, having any complexity in my sentences whatsoever. I just wrote the, the simplest possible sentences because I didn't want to get dinged. Um, and it brought me back to sort of an elementary school level of writing. It's just like, what do I know does not have an error in it? And then as I gained confidence, I started reintroducing <laughs> dependent clauses uh, and, and things into my work. And, and I think it was the first time that I understood what style was. And I was like, okay, because it, it resulted in, in a temporary period where my work was totally devoid of style. And then when I was adding things in, it was conscious. Um, I, I asked him about it after I was like, was that also just sort of like an attempt to get us to all like drop every pretense or bad habit or any, even good habits to just drop everything and to rethink things? And I, yeah, he shrugged and he was like, yeah, that was it. That was sort of the secret motive. And, and I love that because it was, it was like a magic trick. I honestly, it was a revelation that there was an ulterior motive there. And, and like, what a beautiful act of teaching that is. So yeah, like I said, I've, I've, I have not yet read Infinite Jest, but I have encountered Wallace before, and somehow, I don't know how I came across this, but it was a bit of video I found on YouTube, and it was, um, there was audio of David Foster Wallace delivering uh, a commencement address hmm. at a university, and I listened to this whole thing, and I realized that if I'm ever asked to deliver a commencement address, I'm a little screwed now because I can't think of anything more appropriate than to just print off this speech and read it. Mm -hmm. uh, it's called, What is Water? Uh, have you ever heard it? I think I did. It's pretty fantastic. Yeah. Uh, and it starts out with David, David Foster Wallace telling uh, a joke. And the joke goes, um, two young fish swimming along, and they pass an older fish. And as they pass, the older fish says, uh, good morning, boys. How's the water today? And they go, oh, fine, 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 fine. And they uh, swim on. And then one young fish looks at the other fish and goes, what's water? <laughs> <laughs> and then he extrapolates this into basically saying, that it's the most mundane thing you can possibly think of, but he says there's going to come a time when you are, you get off work and you realize that there's nothing in the fridge at home, so you got to go to the grocery, and it's crowded because everybody's there, and uh, you're tired, and you're having to stand in this super long line to buy your groceries, and the person in front of you is going to start to really fucking annoy you because they're going too slow, mm. and you're going to have a choice in this moment, whether to be an asshole <laughs> <laughs> or whether to be patient. Mm -hmm. And it's that decision point that is going to determine so much of the rest of your life. Well, why, uh, why, why did it stick with you? 
Well, part of it is the situation that you're asked to give advice to young people, which is like the most ego gratifying thing ever. <laughs> and to see that Wallace chose the most mundane of, su- he really thought, okay, what is really going to benefit these people other than platitudes? What is really going to be useful? Can I give them some tool? Can I make them aware of something that they're going to, what are they going to face in the next few years? And, you know, ultimately when you come out of college and you realize, oh, there's not a place I go to every day for lunch and all my friends are magically there, mm-hmm. you know, or, oh shit, you know, like I'm in charge of my own happiness mm-hmm. and He's I got to work exactly on that. Right. Uh, the fact that he was able to deliver that message so deftly and so poetically, it's just, I can't, th- I couldn't think of a more important mm. um, message to leave with people getting out of school except that to you know to 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 sort of step back and and not go the route of platitudes yeah, and basically right. say here's the other side of things there's going to become these moments that are really unbelievably uninspirational yes. and boring and that's right. the majority of yes. <laughs> life <laughs> and and you you get to decide what to do with those moments that's true because that's true because most of these commitment things these platitudes are all yeah. makes it seem like you the, the rest of your life is going to be like a james bond action adventure it's <laughs> right. going to be one <laughs> exciting thing after another you got to make sure you seize that opportunity man because it's going to be coming at you fast like <laughs> no it's not actually most of it's going to be that it's going right. to be like why isn't that guy in the car moving? Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of... <laughs> and how do you yeah. deal with that? Because that's life. Yeah. It's, not an, it's not an Indiana Jones adventure. That's the, other, that's the other way to look at it. It's not... Uh, I'm sure some people probably did go into archaeology after seeing uh, Indiana Jones. Boy, were they disappointed. <laughs> but, of course, you know, the, the ironic undercut of all of this is that Wallace took his own life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know... Um, but that doesn't mean, you know, uh, that doesn't negate anything. No, of you course know. not. Of course not. Uh, he, he was, he, he, everyone's fighting a battle yeah. and he, he didn't win. And he was clearly struggling yeah. with something. And I, I've, I've, that's happened to uh, friends and loved ones of people I know. Mm-hmm. I guess what I'm trying to point out is that even the person who, who pointed out that, mm-hmm. you know, you can, you get to decide yeah. how, what to do with any given moment of your life. Mm-hmm. Actually, himself lost sight of that, and it's it's a, it's a it's something you you, right. you got to work to keep your eye on. Yes, and it's it's because it's so ephemeral; it's so easy to lose track. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Perspective perspective is an incredibly easy thing to lose. Yeah. The capital T truth is about life before death. It is about the real value of a real education, which has almost nothing to do with knowledge and everything to do with simple awareness. Awareness of what is so real and essential, so hidden in plain sight all around us all the time, that we have to keep reminding ourselves over and over, this is water, this is water. was produced, recorded, and edited by Brandon Edgens and myself, Anson Mount. Theme music by Jonathan Myberg. Additional music for this episode provided by Density and Time. Special thanks to Mac Barnett for taking the time to sit down with us. 
You can find out more about him and our podcast at our website, thewellpod.com. That's thewellpod.com. And don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you download your podcasts. Have a great week, everyone.